All right, Degenerate, we are here once again, bringing you all the latest. I am Brian Moran, and I am joined once again by Steve Sampson. How are you doing tonight, Steve? Good, Brian. Good Good evening, uh, Degenerates. So we planned on doing our bold predictions tonight, but first, we have a little breaking news. Breaking news. So, Steve, I know you saw this earlier, but apparently Le'Veon Bell was in a little bit of a beef with Adam Gase over missing some practice time. And then, to compound the problem, the Jets decided to trade for Kalen Balazs. What do you think this does to Le'Veon Bell's draft price and floor and ceiling? Brian, who cares about Le'Veon Bell? The Bellagio is coming to New York. <laughs> I mean, this is the best news since never. This is typical Adam Gase. He did this in Miami. Um, he took all the players that he didn't like, tried to ruin their careers, and then shipped them off to other places so they could be successful. He drafted Bellage, so I can see why he would want him, even though he's absolutely terrible. But this is the same scenario we saw play out with him in Miami when he had Landry there, sent him off. Landry's been successful in Cleveland. They did the same thing with Kenyon Drake. Uh, Kenyon Drake's now in Arizona having a great career. So I, I expect the same thing with Bell. He didn't want him. He made it clear that he didn't want him, and ownership made him take him. So we saw what it did to Bell last year a little bit. Um, even though Gase tr- did his best to try and uh, really limit what he could do, Bell still last year had uh, 789 rushing yards. Um, he was the 16th running back in PPR with only three touchdowns. Now, granted, that's partly because the Jets didn't score very many touchdowns because they sucked because Adam Gase sucks. Um, but his receiving totals were, were reasonable. He had almost 80 targets for 66 receptions. Mm-hmm. Again, only one touchdown. Definitely not levy on Bell numbers. In fairness to... Uh... Adam Gase and Le'Veon Bell, there was some dreadful quarterback play last year between uh, all of the replacements for Sam Darnold after he got mono, and even Darnold when he came back wasn't playing well. I think that had a lot to do with their offensive woes as well. No, no, I I agree with that to a point, um, but like I said, he made it clear that he didn't want Bell there, and you have a workhorse back. The guy just took a year off. He's fresh. He's one of the best running backs in the league. You, your ownership just paid a premium to get him there. Use him. Don't sit him on the sidelines and moderately use the talents that are there. I mean, when he was in Pittsburgh, he was getting 320 or so uh, rushing attempts down to less than 250. I mean, come on, man. Use the guy. He's only 28 years old. There's still probably three or four years left in him. And he's a fantastic receiving running back. I don't think it's up for debate that Adam Gase does not want Le'Veon Bell. I mean, that much he's made perfectly clear. No, and I just think that what's going on there now with with Bell being vocal about um, not getting time on the practice field is because the reporters are there. They're seeing him standing around. Gase is telling him, oh, he's he's got a hamstring issue. He's got this issue. He's got that issue. Well, we're just resting him. Um, and the guy's sick of all the bullshit. So yeah, he is a drama queen. Don't get me wrong, but, uh, 
I think he probably has a fairly legitimate bitch. Oh, for sure. So I, I think what it does right now is it just creates more uncertainty. It drives him down the draft board because do you really want to take Le'Veon Bell now in the second round or early third? Because you don't know how much they're going to use him. They, they just brought in another running back. They're giving Frank Gore all the work with the first team offense. The guy who just will not go away and is ruining fantasy careers for owners everywhere. And you know that they're going to keep him and he's going to vulture touchdowns from Bell. So so let me ask you, at, at what point in the draft do you consider Le'Veon Bell? Sixth round, fifth round. Oof. Yeah, L- late fifth, maybe six if he, but he's not going to get there. So, I mean, right now I'm looking at him in the same range. Yeah, it, it's got to be like fifth or sixth round. I'm going to take a couple of running backs. I'm going to take a couple of receivers, and then I might consider him for my flex play. Yeah, and I'm in the same boat. I, I don't mean to make it sound like you're too low. I don't think you are at all. The biggest thing with Bell this year was that nobody could really see the ceiling because everybody knows he that Adam Gase hates him. And everybody knew that Frank Gore was going to vulture touches. So you said, all right, well, there's no ceiling, but look at that floor. The volume is going to be there. He's going to have a nice, safe floor. Then now you have all this bullshit, and they go out and trade for Kalen Balage, who, by the way, was absolutely dreadful last year. But when he was with Adam Gase, averaged over five yards a carry. He did. You know, so if Gase can get that kind of production out of Balage, then... He's a viable starter, and he's he deserves to be out on the field, and he's going to get work. And he might not be able to keep him off the field just because he sucks if he excels in Gase's system. So it's like now is, is Bell in a three-way split? Now there is no floor. You know, it's, it's fucking ugly. It's, it sucks because I love Le'Veon Bell. I think he's a great talent, and uh, I want to see him succeed. And, you know, Bell was a guy that I had my eye on. And we talked about it in the mock draft that, you know, he's that guy you can grab in the third round. If you don't take a running back in the second, you can grab Bell in the third and he's got a nice safe floor for you. He can start every week and you don't have to worry about him. And it's just, it's not, it doesn't look like it's true anymore. (laughs) No, but look, so Kenyon Drake, the same year that Bilal in 18 with Miami, um, when he spent the whole year there, he was the the, uh, running back 14 at PPR. With 4.46 yards per carry. Last year in the split year with Miami and Arizona, it was a 4.81. So Gase is able to get the two years before that, um, Drake was 4.8 and 5.4. He's able to get five yards per carry out of his running backs. He just doesn't use them. Yeah. That's that's the problem. Like Bellage, he, he was getting good production out of him, wasn't using him that much. He gets that kind of production out of his running backs, but the, who who's he going to use? So let me ask you this: Le'Veon Bell or James Conner? James Conner. Le'Veon Bell, Leonard Fournette. I really don't like Fournette this year or any year. I've always been historically low on Leonard Fournette, but I think I would take Fournette this year. Le'Veon Bell or Roheem Mostert. <sighs> That's who he's going with right yeah. now. Yeah, that, I that's, mean, that's the area he's in. So, and that's a decision you're going to have to make if you want to draft Le'Veon Bell right now. Yeah. And it's it sucks because— and It shouldn't be it, that tough. It, it shouldn't <laughs> be that tough. Like, Le'Veon Bell against any of those guys should be a no-brainer. Right. You, you, it's, you're talking about a running back who's 28 years old, who was the number one and number two running back 
for multiple years in the NFL. And, and he's not washed up. He's not beat up. He's not suffering from a ton of injuries. And, and you're putting him into the same category as guys that are, are barely startable from week to week in your fantasy lineup. It's just too bad. All right. So now that we got the news out of the way, let's uh, move right into our bold predictions. Bold predictions. All right. So we're going to give some bold predictions, maybe way too bold. And uh, no such thing as way too bold. (laughs) We're going to tell you where these late round picks are going to finish and we're going to tell you why. So, Steve, why don't you lead us off? Give us your first guy. So my first guy uh, for bold predictions is going to be Hayden Hurst. And my prediction is he finishes as a top five tight end this year. I like it. Um, So last year, Hurst on Baltimore with a three tight end set that they used all three tight ends. Obviously, everybody knows Andrews was a tight end five, had a great year. Um, Andrews had 852 yards, 10 touchdowns, and 64 receptions on 98 targets. Hurst finished as a tight end 34. 512 yards, two touchdowns. 30 catches on 39 targets. So he's much more efficient receiver. He just didn't get the red zone touchdowns. And he had about 300 yards less receiving, but he had a third of the targets. So he's going into an offense in Atlanta that last year put out Austin Hooper as a tight end six with 787 yards, six touchdowns, 75 receptions on 97 targets. So the same, same target share as Andrews. So if you put Hurst into that offense with the same amount of targets, which is going to be, you know, another 60 targets figure, even at half of those, you put him at 60 receptions and give him a, another 300 yards that puts him at the tight end five with where Andrews was last year. Mm-hmm. That's without increasing his touchdowns. If you can get him 900 yards, six touchdowns with 75 receptions, you're probably looking at the tight end four. And that's pretty, I mean, you're, it, it's going to take a lot to get up above your top three in, in Kittle, Kelsey, and probably Andrews still. But you're in that territory with those three and Waller. I think he can do it in that high-powered Atlanta offense. I, I really will be disappointed if he can't do it with that because I think he's a much more talented tight end than Austin Hooper. And I think the only reason that he finished where he did was because they had three tight ends and they wanted to keep Nick Boyle and Mark Andrews in Baltimore. Uh, I don't mind the prediction. Obviously, we're supposed to be bold. That is bold to uh, to say that the tight end currently being drafted as the number 12 tight end is going to finish in the top five. That doesn't mean it's outside the, outside the realm of possibility, but I'm just curious how much target share he's really going to have. I mean, obviously Hooper was a huge target in that offense, but you know, everybody's predicting the the big breakout for Calvin Ridley. Don't you think he has to get a bigger target share in order to get that? And do you wonder if that cuts into Hayden Hurst at all? So I don't think Ridley's target share increases that much, maybe, you know, 10, 15 targets, maybe 20 targets, but I don't think that that really cuts into it because they don't have a number three receiver. They don't really, I mean, you have Gurley. I don't know that they're going to use him a lot coming out of the backfield um, it, to the point where it's going to impact the 
targets for the tight end. So I think Ridley benefits from it. I think Hurst benefits from it. And I think Julio benefits from it. Mm -hmm. And Matt Ryan, I really expect that he can have a better year this year than what he did last year. And last year he had a pretty good year. Um, He had 4,400 yards, 408 completions on 600 passes with 26 touchdowns. So even if he just can repeat that, 400 completions, 600 targets between Julio, Ridley, and Hooper, Mm -hmm. if you just divide them up that way, that's 200 targets apiece. So obviously you're not going to get that, but there's plenty of targets to go around in that offense. And they have a couple younger wide receivers that are going to come up. But I, I think I think Hurst owns, you know, from 5 to 15 yards across the middle of the field. And it's a perfect spot to dump off for Matt Ryan. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, like I said, I, I don't hate the pick. And I, I love Hayden Hurst. I love that landing spot. You know, he is somebody that I have my eye on, obviously. And uh, I think he is being drafted way too low. I'm just playing devil's advocate a little bit. Yeah, I, I love the pick. Great. So who's uh, who's your first bold prediction, Brian? So my first bold prediction is that Michael Gallup will finish as a top 10 wide receiver. That's bold. Yeah. This may seem a little too bold on the face of it, but frankly, after going through his stats, this feels like a logical, predictable outcome. In the final eight games of 2019, Gallup averaged 81.6 yards per game with 4.6 receptions and had four touchdowns in that span. If you pace that out over 16 games, he would finish with 1,305 receiving yards on 74 receptions, eight touchdowns. That would end his season with 260.5 fantasy points, which would have put him at number nine in 2019 final standings. And this isn't taking into account any kind of growth as the wide receiver enters that sweet third year that everyone waits for from their potential breakouts. If he has a boost in efficiency, he could actually see his targets go down and still achieve this finish or even higher. His main competition for targets is a, frankly, inefficient and spotty Amari Cooper and a talented rookie who isn't going to have a proper offseason. And in McCarthy's offense, I feel like the sky's the limit for Michael Gallup. You say that Blake Jarwin's going to have a breakout year and Zeke we know is going to get targets. And we know that he's going to throw to Amari Cooper. Where's all this extra production going to come from? I think Michael Gallup's going to be the number one wide receiver in Dallas. He's going to steal targets from Amari Cooper. That is bold, sir. I like it. That is a, that is bold. I I do actually agree with you that Michael Gallup has the potential to be the number 10 wide receiver. Potentially higher. I do think he takes over as the lead um, wide receiver. I just... I don't know that he takes him from Cooper. Um, I hope so, because then uh, Cooper can stop being as bad as he is. Well, you also have a lot of vacated targets from Randall Cobb leaving. That's, yeah, I, I see those. most of those going to CeeDee Lamb. A few of those will go to Gallup. A few will get spursed out to Jarwin. But, I mean, Cooper last year had 120 targets with 79 receptions for 1,200 yards. So... How how many are you looking at taking away from Cooper? 20? Yeah. Okay. I don't see why you couldn't. I I mean, if if they're both on the field and Michael Gallup is more efficient and a better wide receiver, they're not going to just keep feeding Amari Cooper because of the name value. They're going to look at the young stud that they drafted and developed 
and they're going to say, fuck it, give him the ball. Okay. I mean, as fans, we have a tendency to go, oh, well, no, I mean, that, that, that guy's the number one. He's the number one. But we have seen where number two receivers can come up and take it from him if they develop and become great. You know, we saw it last year with Cortland Sutton starting to overtake Emmanuel Sanders. We saw it last year with Chris Godwin overtaking Mike Evans. It's not, I don't think it's crazy at all. I, I, I look at Michael Gallup and I see a much more efficient, much more consistent wide receiver that could end the year uh, with more receptions than Amari Cooper. Maybe not as high yards per reception, but even if he has less receptions than Amari Cooper, he has way more yards after catch than Amari Cooper, like we talked about last episode. And if he's going to get you more yards after catch, then he's a guy you want to get the ball in his hands. Amari Cooper can keep being the deep target, but Michael Gallup could end up with more yards on the season and potentially more receptions. So, like I said, I, I, I think he will outperform Amari Cooper this year. I, I have to agree with you. So uh, what is your next player? My next player, fueled by his uh, recent contest on Twitter, is Gardner Minshew. I predict Gardner Minshew to be a top 10 quarterback this year. Wow. Uh, I, now, I know this is extremely bold. The, uh, the mustache on paper... A lot of people don't realize that he missed two games last year. He finished as a quarterback 19. Those two games that Nick Foles played, he was horrendous. But if you take those stats, which really were horrendous, and add them into Minshew's, it puts him at the at the quarterback 11 last year. Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, so Minshew himself had 470 passes, 285 completions for... 3,271 yards, 21 touchdowns, only six picks. Uh, he also had 67 rushes for 344 yards, no touchdowns. So the guy does not run the ball into the end zone. He throws it, which is good for his receivers. I would anticipate he'll, he'll probably snake a touchdown here or there. Yeah, I would think you'd have to see the touchdowns go up if he's going to rush for that kind of yardage. Yeah, I, I I think you see him with a, with a touchdown or two. I mean, granted, you can't plan for it, but I think you're going to see it. So if you if we look at Foles for the two games or two and a half games that he played, he had 100, another 117 passing attempts for 77 completions for 736 yards, three touchdowns. So if you add those into Minshew's, it puts him at 350 completions for right at 4,000 yards and 24 touchdowns. That puts him right at, like I said, the uh, quarterback 11, which was Patrick Mahomes last year. No kidding. So it, it puts him in the company of Rodgers, Mahomes, Goff, right in that range. So with a few improvements this year, their offensive line is another year older. They kept the, the entire line together. They've added a couple of talented receivers. They added Tyler Eifert, who... When healthy, is actually a very good receiving tight end. Oh, he's great. The problem is when healthy. And unfortunately, they still have Fournette, but the, the guy can catch the ball. And they also have Armstead, who I think they'll use a little bit more. Plus, you, you can't discount Minshew with his rushing ability. So, Yeah, I mean, I, I actually really like this take. You know, I was I was pretty close to making my own bull prediction about Gardner Minshew and... uh you know, it's, I mean, you just look at some of these numbers and, you know, like you said, basically 13 and a half games, 21 touchdowns. That's 
awesome, you know. 21 touchdowns, six picks for a rookie. Yeah. That's, I mean, that ratio is is uh, good for a veteran. Yeah. And, I mean, for a rookie that didn't get any reps with the ones. Right. I mean, this team was all in on Nick Foles. Yeah, I mean, it's like, if you look at look at Goff last year, who finished as a quarterback 10, 22 touchdowns, 16 interceptions. Phillip Rivers, 23 and 20. Kyler Murray, 20 and 12. Winston, we won't even go there. <laughs> Matt Ryan, 26 and 14. Deshaun Watson, 26 and 12. Dak Prescott, 30 and 11. I mean, these are your veterans. Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Carson Wentz, and uh, Carr are the only quarterbacks in the top 10 that don't have double-digit interceptions. Yeah. And, you know, a, a lot of people like to point to the lack of yardage that he threw for. But did you know that the Jacksonville Jaguars were number three in the league last year for team drops? They had 34 drops as a team. Yeah. That's fucking ugly. <laughs> Just look at look at his metrics for passes and completions. He, he barely had a 50% completion rate. 470 passes, 285 complete. I mean, that's... Now, granted, some of those deep balls that he was throwing to uh, Shark, yeah, you're off the mark, but uh, a 50% incompletion rate is, is absurd for a team. Yeah. And, I mean, he he was efficient when uh, when it was the stuff that he excels at. You know, he was 71, he had a 71.6 completion percentage on play action. That was number six in the league. He had a 45.1% completion percentage on deep balls. That was number five in the league. You know, he did his job. Like I said, those drops killed him. Killed him. Yeah, no, they did. But those those stats and what they've done with the team, Brian, is why I took Mr. Minshew 1.7 in my dynasty draft. <laughs> That's right. You heard it here. 1.7, first round, seventh pick, Gardner Minshew in a dynasty draft. I hope Gardner is listening. I'm crazy, but I'm trying to get the free Bud Light. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not a Bud guy. I'm a Miller guy, but uh, I ain't turning it down free beer. <laughs> I'll take free beer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just one other thing I want to mention is uh, the 344 rushing yards. That was number five in the league for quarterbacks. He had a 5.1 yard per carry. He had 10 red zone carries, which, like I said, would indicate that he should get some touchdowns. And uh, obviously last year he didn't get them, but that raises his floor even higher. I, I got to tell you, I absolutely love this take. I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. And, uh, you know, right now Gardner Minshew is being drafted as a QB 25 on ESPN. It's fucking insane. He should not be that far down. If you don't trust him to be top 12 just because he's a Jaguar, I get it. But he should not be 25. He is not bottom third, guys. No, he's not. He's He's definitely, he should definitely be drafted as one of the, at least one of the top 15 guys Yeah, with, with upside. I mean, he should be drafted before Joe Burrow. He should be drafted before Daniel Jones. He should be drafted this year. I think the, the way they say they're going to use Josh Allen, he should be drafted before Josh Allen because they don't want him running as much. They want him to start passing the ball. I mean, I think he should be drafted ahead of Jared Goff. Yeah, I don't agree with most of that, but I get your point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I, really, though, come on. You would take him over Jared Goff. Yeah, absolutely. That's crazy. 
And I think Jared Goff is being drafted way too low, too. But Oh, I do, too. I think they should be going right around the same spot, right around the 15th quarterback or so off the board. But, I mean, Goff has a problem with, with keeping the ball in the hands of the Rams. He did last year, but historically he doesn't have uh, a big issue with interceptions. Goff had 16 interceptions last year, 12 interceptions a year before. His first two years, he only had he only had seven. But his first year, he had five touchdowns and seven interceptions. The second year in the league in 17, he actually had a good quarterback ratio. And in 18. 18, 18 he went 32 and 12. It's a decent ratio, but he's still in a double-digit interceptions. Yeah. So he, he, he has a problem with turning the ball over. He's trying to do too much. If he can, if he can stop trying to do that and letting his receivers do the work, um, I think he's going to be a, a lot better off. But I, I, I have no issue drafting them in, in the same area. Yeah. I just, you know, uh, like you alluded to earlier, I mean, a lot of quarterbacks throw interceptions in the double digits. If they're low double digits, I can live with it. And if you throw in a lot of touchdowns, then I'm definitely on board. And I think Jared Goff is looking at some touchdown improvement. You know, the problem last year was 22 and 16. Yeah. You know, 32 and 12 is fucking awesome. Uh, you know, I, I can live with that all day and night. So I, I don't, I, like I said, I'm not trying to argue about Minshew. I'm just saying that I would still take Goff over Minshew. I'll take the proven production. Sure. But. Minshew does have that real, like we talked about, he does have that safe rushing floor as well. And, you know, Jay Gruden's taking over the offense. He runs that West Coast offense. He likes to throw the ball down the field. He likes to have quick reads. He likes play action. And like we highlighted, those are all strength of Minshew. So I may be the one with egg on my face at the end of the season if I say, you know what, I'm not taking Minshew here. I'm going to take Goff. So I can see the path to where you're right. It's I don't think it's set in stone. I was willing to bet my dynasty league on it, Brian. <laughs> All right. Viva la mustache. Oh, yeah. Hey, you don't hear me arguing he doesn't have the sickest mustache in the NFL. You know, <laughs> that's not up for debate. Nobody argues that. Right. So who's your, uh, who's your other bold prediction? So my other bold prediction. Boston Scott finishes as a high-end RB3 and is a reliable flex play. So obviously all anyone is talking about in Philadelphia is the huge workload that Miles Sanders is going to get for the Eagles. And I don't think they're wrong. In the final four games of the season, Sanders averaged almost 75 rushing yards in, in four receptions for 37.4 receiving yards with nearly one touchdown per game. However, what a lot of people are ignoring is that in that same span, those same games, Boston Scott averaged nine and a half attempts for 37.7 yards with a touchdown and another 5.7 receptions for 50 yards per game for an average of 19.8 fantasy points per game. I think some of that usage comes down a little bit with a healthy wide receiver core. Don't get me wrong. Okay, obviously, if I thought he was going to average 20 points a game, I'd be drafting him in the second round. But the point remains that Boston Scott will play a role in this offense. And he will have a receiving upside that can't be ignored. Will this be a 50-50 split? No, of course it won't. But that doesn't mean that Scott can't have flex value. He's currently being drafted as the RB51. He's going 165 overall. There's no reason he should be drafted this low. 
He's going to be a starter on your team, Stephen. Start drafting him like one. That is bold. I guess as a top, as a top in the thirty-six range. Yeah, I, I, okay. I, I can see a path where it happens. Um, I don't think he's going to get the usage that you think he's going to get, um, barring an injury. But I certainly can see a road to where he moves into the into a, being an RB three in a 12 team league. I mean, he finished last year as the uh RB49 and he had very limited use last year, but uh, I think that the road to get there is going to be very tough for him with Miles Sanders being there. Well, he had he had a very limited role on the team when it was Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders. When Jordan Howard was out of the picture, it was Miles Sanders and Boston Scott. It was and in those four games, they were both able to produce at a huge level. Yeah, I mean, he had 61 rushes, uh, just about 250 yards, and he's, he's extremely efficient in the passing game, um, only, only uh, two drops. So it, it, it is possible that they're going to use him, and they might use a two-running back set or alternate him more to uh, take some pressure off of Wentz. Yeah. If if they do that, I can see his role increasing. It, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, you're only you're only looking at getting up 13 spots from where he finished last year. Yeah. And in the range from 36 to say 30. So you're looking at him in the range of uh, Adrian Peterson, Devontae Freeman, Melvin Gordon, uh, somewhere around 600 yards rushing and 250 to or so yards receiving, probably 30 catches and maybe one or two touchdowns. So, I mean, that's not out of the realm of possibility because that's actually fairly close to where he was. He just didn't have the rushing yards that some of these other guys had. So if they use him more and they keep him more involved, then, then yeah, I could see maybe that happening. But uh, it's definitely bold. Yeah. I, I really think that they use Sanders as a feature back. Well, like I said, I mean, this is on the back of 15 touches a game. You know, the, Miles Sanders can still have 75% of that backfield. And if Boston Scott continues to be efficient with his touches, playing that Darren Sproles type role, then he could have this finish. Yeah. No, it, it, like I said, there is a, a path where it's possible. Now, like I said, I expect that usage to come down. You know, there, there was nobody healthy on that roster last year when this happened. No. There, there wasn't, but Alshon Jeffries is still not healthy. Yeah. Deshaun Jackson's 100. <laughs> De- yeah, Deshaun Jackson is probably going to play three games. Um, you have Jay Jaws. You have Ragor. Nelson Aguilar is gone. I mean, there's there's not that. I mean, you got, you're got going to have uh, Ertz and Goddard both probably on the field all the time catching passes. Because they just don't have the wide receiver depth to support, you know, having a high-powered passing offense like that because of injuries. So, yeah, I mean, if they use him, there's a, the possibility that they use him in a, a slot-type role. And uh, he can be like a two- or three-down guy with Sanders out there, too. So I could see if they use him right that it is a possibility. Yeah. I just, uh, you know, I, I look at him and I see... Tariq Cohen, I see James White, you know, where they don't 
get a ton of volume, but they were efficient with their touches and managed to creep up into that into that flex range despite not being the lead back. Yeah. He he's definitely somebody that I would consider taking towards the end of a draft in a redraft right right now just because the potential upsides there with the usage that you think that they're going to have plus the injury potential with Sanders. Mm-hmm. So there there is definitely value in drafting him late in the draft. Yeah, he's definitely somebody that I target in the later rounds. Um, you know, when people are really desperate to add their uh their running back depth for whatever reason, they tend to overlook him and they don't want him and uh you know, on the face of it, I get it, but once you look at the numbers, they're they're tough to ignore. And I definitely see this as a possibility. Like obviously it's not guaranteed. I mean, you know, that could have just been lightning in a bottle. Maybe he won't be as efficient with his touches. Maybe he won't get the kind of work I thought. You know, that's all possible too. But, you know, we're making bold predictions, so I'm going to be bold. And, uh, you know, where he's going in redraft leagues, he's worth the pick all day and night. Yeah, no, no. I, even in Dynasty where he's going, um, he's, worth a, he's worth taking a flyer on. Like I said, it's something, it's somebody you can grab in a later round. You know, you can get him 13th, 14th round. Take a flyer on him. You know the guy's going to be involved somewhat. Uh, they're going to they're gonna give him a shot. So, And like you mentioned, there is injury upside as well. Right. Yeah, I mean, Sanders is, isn't he already beat up a little bit? Yeah. Lower body injury. So, I mean, there's the potential that uh, if that lingers, Scott gets more work early in the season. So, And not just that, but like we alluded to with the wide receivers, if that wide receiving core takes another big hit like they did last year, they may roll him out just to help the passing game. You know, if Greg Ward gets hurt or Jalen Rager gets hurt, they they might rely on him to be a pass catcher. Yeah, no, that's that's very possible. I can definitely see that happening. All right, well, those are our bold predictions. Uh, Steve, do you have anything you wanted to add? Um, I do not. Uh, good luck on Saturday, and uh, good luck drafting for third place. I'm taking first, <laughs> and Minshew's coming in to take second. Oh, yeah. The Daydreaming Degenerates, the official draft, will be Saturday at 3 o'clock. We will be doing a draft review episode Sunday. It'll probably be broken up into two pieces. Um, If you want to reach out to us about our bold predictions, about our mock draft, about anything we've done on the show, about anything you want to hear on the show, uh, please reach out to us. Uh, You can ask us fantasy questions. You can give us tips. Tell us we suck, whatever you want. Uh, the phone number is 508-343-8010. That'll go straight to voicemail. And uh, if you leave us a voicemail, we'll we'll play it on the show. You know, you could be heard by up to one person. The email is dddfantasyfootball at gmail.com. Please reach out to us. We want to get you guys more involved. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening and have a good night.